Glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Coming up in just a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, United Airlines in the news again. When are they going to make good news instead of bad news at United? Oh, I've got good news for you coming up later yet. I, after spending dozens of hours digging in, have new recommendations for you in saving for a kid's education. And I'm going to fill you in on my latest findings and latest recommendations for you coming up later. Uh, Right now, I should mention that I have very concise info for you about how to handle the Experian uh, data vulnerability that has affected people's pens for a credit freeze with Experian. We've really worked through this and come up with a much more streamlined, easy procedure for you to protect yourself from somebody taking over your identity and your accounts because of this vulnerability, the potential to do so. Simply, what you do is you permanently remove your security freeze with Experian and then immediately go back in and reset by setting up a new security freeze is the best way to remove the existing vulnerability. And if you want to be able to pass that along to someone, we have a briefing on that at Clark.com. Sears has generated a number of questions for me from news outlets and from consumers And I was surprised because I can't remember the last time I shopped at a Sears store or a Kmart. In my life, neither have been part of my life for maybe 15 years other than at a mall near our home, the now-closed Sears. I used to park by it during busy shopping days because there was always parking on that side of the mall and then I could just walk through to where I was going. I'm going to lose that advantage now that that store already had closed before the bankruptcy filing. But there are certain, you know, that's when you know a retailer is really on the ropes, when the advantage of them existing is so that you can find a better parking space. But if you happen to have any gift card for Sears or Kmart, While the getting's good, use that card up. If you have anything on layaway, go pay off your layaway right now if you can come up with the money and don't put yourself in a position of ending up a creditor. The question that I've already been asked three times, I can't give you a yes or no answer on, and that's what's going to happen with extended warranties, extended service contracts, Sears is not in control of that anymore. And if you have uh, Kenmore appliances or whatever that you purchased at Sears, any televisions, any electronics, and you bought one of those, um, well, I call them piece of trash, extended warranties or service contracts, not from Sears, just anywhere, I don't like them. Um, But if you bought one, I can't tell you rest easy and rest assured that you'll be covered. In most bankruptcies, those get wiped out. 
unless the actual paper is held by a third-party warranty servicer or a service contract company. So that one we'll have to wait on. As far as your card, sorry to tell you if you have a Sears card, just because they went bankrupt doesn't mean you don't owe your bill. You will still need to pay your bill as agreed for whatever you would have on a Sears co-branded credit card. And as for shopping the GOBs, the going out of business sales that will occur, you may have heard me say this with the Toys R Us liquidation, that going out of business sales seldom have good deals. And even though they'll advertise 70, 80, 90% off, 70, 80, 90% off of what? Precisely. The prices for retail are usually made up to make it appear that the price then being offered is a great price. Don't get sucked in, don't get suckered at GOBs because rarely, if ever, does a GOB have any deal that smiles on your wallet. Brent is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Brent. Hey, Clark. Glad to join you. Well, it's great to have you here, Brent. You have a question for me that is one that gets really difficult to give a solid answer to. So I'm going to do the best I can. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. I I, uh, had a pension with a company, and it's going bankrupt. And uh, my question was, uh, I was told that uh, I could not take the lump sum out after it after it rolled after this company went into bankruptcy. Is that correct? And should I take that versus, or should I do that now when I can versus the bankruptcy? So, are you still working for the company, or are you already retired? I'm already retired uh, from that company, yes, sir. And are you of an age yet that you're receiving a pension? payment every month or is it just sitting there it's just sitting there i'm 63 right now i'm not quite i'm not quite there yet okay gold gas and tank yeah so who's telling you that you have no right to take a lump sum uh well uh, once it goes into bankruptcy i called the the, the company that controls the, the pension and they're the ones that told me to, to look into this before it went into bankruptcy I guess there's some kind of federal program or something that protects the, the, the employee once the bankruptcy occurs. Yeah, so what happens, there's a, there's a quasi-federal agency that, as far as I'm concerned, is a federal agency called the Pension okay. Benefit Guarantee Corporation. Mm-hmm. And when a company goes bust that has pension obligations, if they can't honor their obligations they become an obligation of the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. If you are someone who is working in a a moderately paid job, then the formula that the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation uses will usually give you pretty much the same pension as you would have had from the former employer if they hadn't gone broke. If you, on the other hand, made big money there, and that was the basis for your pension, then usually the PBGC will reduce your pension benefit below 
what it would have been otherwise. Were you making yeah. moderate money or big money? Well, it's a six-figure. All right. So, so I see why you're concerned because at the level of pension benefit you may well have earned, they may um, do what they – the term's terrible, but cram down – your pension check to a smaller amount than it would have been otherwise. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, sir. Is yeah, that what you've been told? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. That's exactly right. Yeah. I checked with the local source and my, my son's an economic um, accountant and he said to do the same thing to, to take the pension. I want some. But, you, but that's not available to you? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I'm, I, I started the initiation just before this happened, so I'll, I guess I will see. Hopefully, hopefully it, it got in in time. Yeah, and, yeah. and hopefully, in fact, it did. But everything else I said squares with what you've heard. Okay, yes, sir. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, I just All wanted right. to make sure yes. that I was understanding it because that is a, I mean, you know, it's a considerable sum to me, so that's that's what I wanted to make sure I, I understood it. Well, you are awfully calm for somebody who may see your pension eroded right before your eyes. So <laughs> i got to give you credit for that. And this is... When I talk to someone about their pensions, Brent, and people will call me who are leaving a job, and they'll ask me whether they should take a lump sum or be paid out over time, I say that normally you want to be paid out over time unless there's a reason that you're worried about the strength, the how strong the employer is, and the chances that they are not going to be successful over the long term. And that's like looking in a uh, crystal ball that may be cloudy. In your case, you're past that. And I'd love it if you let me know if you later are, in fact, issued your lump sum amount or if you've got to suffer and wait for the PBGC to do its thing. Arlissa's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Arlissa. How are you? I'm good, Clark. How are you? Good, thank you. How can I be of service to you? Yes, um, I've been employed with the same company for 24 years, and they offer a long-term insurance, and I'm not sure if I should take it because I'm only 46 years old. Um, If your health is good, I would pass. If you have health issues that hold you back some, I would go ahead and take the plan offered through the company because the advantage to the company is anyone is eligible regardless of pre-existing medical conditions Mm -hmm. where later on if you decide to try to buy a long-term care policy on your own you have to go through medical underwriting and if you've got something that's troublesome they may not insure you or they may charge you extra to insure you because of the pre-existing but you're awfully young to own long-term care insurance yeah, I don't have any existing health problems at, at this moment. Then then I would say you can't know everything that's going to happen in your life, and it's possible that you could get hit with a tough turn later and have a medical problem that would make it tough to insure. We, there are no certainties in life, yes. but I would say of the options and choices available to you in life, buying long-term care at 46 sounds way too early no wait. i was just doing some math you've been at this employer how long 24 years so since you were right so out of school you've been with yes. one employer you know nobody ever does that anymore 
Yes. <laughs> so you're a lifer with them? I am. It's a federal agency, yes. Oh, so are you doing the TSP? I am. Great. TSP, you know, I love. It's a phenomenal retirement plan. Yes, and I max it out. <laughs> that year. is great. Now, are you doing any of the Roth TSP or are you doing traditional only? Just traditional only. All right. With all these years you have with the feds and all the money you have in the pre-tax side, I would mm-hmm. encourage you to consider at least taking a part of your contribution, if not all of it, and in the future going Roth TSP so that you have, when you do retire, you have a pre-tax pile of money and a post-tax pile of money. I will definitely look into that. All right. Well, best to you, and uh, I wish you continued great health. Thank you so much. Sure. Today's Clark Rageous moment is something that I have talked about for the last 20 years at least, and that is what used to be known as hidden city fairs. There are certain cities that are fortresses for the three remaining full fare airlines, and somebody going to one of those cities, at least one way, can save a huge amount of money by buying a ticket changing planes there that you don't take the connecting flight. And so the fare may drop by 60, 70, 80 percent by doing that. And there's even a website called Skip Lagged that United Airlines sued years ago to try to uh, get the site shut down. And Skip Lagged, I'll spell it S K I P L A G G E D dot com, tells you how to beat the system at the airline hubs. Just for reference, for the prior mentioned United, for flights to Chicago, Houston, Newark, many times the fares are crazy high. And so people will use Skip Lagged to beat those high fares Delta, Atlanta, Minneapolis, and Detroit. Uh, American Airlines, Charlotte, Philadelphia, Dallas. And so these airlines build these fortresses. United is really upset about people not paying the fortress hub price when they're going to the fortress hub doing a hidden city or what Skip Lag calls Skip Lag. I don't know where they came up with that term. So United, according to Inc. Magazine, is now threatening people with lawsuits and collection agencies for doing hidden city tickets. So let's say as an example, you were going to Houston and instead you might buy a ticket to Austin or San Antonio or El Paso and it might cut your price 80-90%. When you get to Houston, you just don't take the connecting flight and you go visit family or go to work or whatever it is you're doing. That's what United is really upset about. And the legal notices that United is sending people are ridiculous. They are to a level of meanness that is absolutely clark Rageous. And I believe that it is a legitimate strategy for you to do to save money. If you go on Clark.com on our, my travel guide, I explain to you how you do it that you won't have a problem. One of the things you have to do is you have to travel with only a tiny micro carry-on because if they take away your carry-on bag at the gate, that bag's going to the city that 
they were planning for you to go to that you're not taking the connecting flight. You obviously can't check bags. You can only do it on a one-way fare. But the savings involved in this are gigantic. And American United and Delta have spent a fortune building up these fortress hubs, trying to keep out competitors simply for the purpose of driving fares up to the highest levels possible in these fortress cities. And they don't take kindly to you coming up with ways to beat the system and get a lower price. There is nothing against the law doing this. United, in fact, called it an act of fraud. Fraud is a crime. United, send your lawyers back to law school because it's not fraud. It's just somebody making a smart decision to save money. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. You're worried somebody's taking advantage of you? You need more information? You need guidance? We have that available for you for free, off the air, talking with a member of Team Clark over 40 hours each week. And so if you go to Clark.com, scroll down a little, you'll see the phone number and hours available for free off-the-air advice. Uh, I want you to save money. You know that's what I'm all about, keeping more of what you make, saving for retirement, saving for a rainy day. And if you have kids and you're likely for them to go to college, saving for a kid's college. So every roughly 18 months, I revise my guide to the best 529 plans in the country. If you're not familiar with 529 plans, they are the tax-free plans that allow you to save in many states for private school before college and then for college itself tax-free. My general recommendation is even if your state allows you to use 529 plan money for private school uh, up to 12th grade, that you're usually better off, if you can afford to, to pay for the private school out of your own funds and whatever scholarships your kid may earn in private school, and then have more years of tax-free growth for college. But the plans come in multiple flavors, and they can really overwhelm you and confuse you with all the noise in life, trying to pick a 529 plan. These 529 plans are specifically, generally, approved by a state, sponsored by a state. The state lends its name to a private plan. Some states have multiple ones. Many states have both an indirect plan, where you go through a commission salesperson, and then direct plans where you invest directly. There is never a circumstance, and this is a never rule, that you should ever go through a commission salesperson to put money in a 529 plan. What's the most important thing in saving, particularly with the window you have from whatever point after child's birth that you decide to start saving money for college till a child would enter college, the time period, the horizon, is relatively short. 
if you're paying massive commissions to go into a plan, you're going to erode the ability for your money to work for you and build up tax-free to pay for a child's college. The investment choices I recommend are so simple in a 529 plan that there is absolutely no need for anyone, even with minimal knowledge about investing, to ever need a salesperson's help to do a 529 plan. In fact, the go-to choice I recommend in any of the plans that I like that I've talked about on my guide are for you to go in the age-based portfolios. Age-based portfolios are where you put money in and based on your child's age or grandkid's age or niece or nephew or whoever you're putting up the money for, that the mix of investments changes as the child gets closer and closer to entering college. It's too complicated to try to figure out your own investment mix unless you work as an investment professional as your day job. So going in the age-based portfolio is what I recommend. What I've done going through the plans is I've looked at them to find the ones that are the absolute lowest cost. Because over, let's say, a typical investment cycle that someone's putting money in for a child's college, the money sits in there roughly 10 years based on when people put money in and the money you put in through the years. And so for that investment cycle, the costs of the investments matter enormously how much money you'll have there for a kid's college by the time they're spending it and for tuition and other eligible expenses in undergraduate or graduate school. So my guide that I've just updated at Clark.com is all about driving down the costs, period. And the good news is that college 529 plans have gotten cheaper and cheaper and cheaper with intense competition among those that are the direct sold. The ones that involve commissions, again, I don't even look at because they're so uneconomic you should never consider them. But the great news is that when I first started writing about and reviewing 529 plans long ago, the list of those that were good for you to put your money in was teensy tiny. Today, it encompasses most plans sponsored by most states in the country. And many states, in addition to getting use of money tax-free for college, you get a tax benefit up front for participating in a plan. And so check out my guide, and it's something that I uh, do partial revisions over time and then do a major revision to roughly every 18 months. And the reason there are times I do partial revisions is two, actually. One, a plan may change sponsors or the existing sponsor may lower costs. Or two, I may come to believe that the decision I've made about a particular state plan was wrong and I may downgrade a plan or upgrade a plan on further review. But the idea of this is that 
you have an opportunity, if you can afford it, to put money aside to defray, at least in part, the cost of a child's college education and have that done the most efficient way possible, tax-free growth of your money. Having said that, though, never sacrifice your own retirement in order to put money aside for a kid's college. Your retirement comes first. The reason why is simple. There are no scholarship plans for retirement, but there are many alternative ways to pay for college, including the most overlooked of all, and that's going to a more affordable college as the number one way to reduce the cost because a dollar never had to be expended for college is a dollar you don't have to save for it. And again, if the culture in your family is college is not likely for a kid, you don't want to save in one of these plans. But always save the max you're allowed to in a Roth IRA before you focus in any meaningful way on a 529. I guess the only uh, asterisk to that is if there's a state tax benefit going into a 529, if you can put in what will get you the maximum tax benefit in the state, in addition to the tax-free growth, that would make it a 1, and then the Roth IRA funding would be a 1A. But anyway, you can see my explanation at Clark.com. The goal with my 529 plan guide is this. I want you to be in a position to review, pick a plan, fund it, and be done in less than 15 minutes. This doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't in any way need to be intimidating. And you'll really be glad that you set up a plan with the goal of being to add to it every month, if you can, automatically to build up real money towards college. Jill is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jill. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great, Jill. I hope I can be of help to you. I hope so. I have a question about the online banks. I've I've been listening to you, and recently I took your advice and moved a chunk of our savings to one of the online banks. And like you suggested, I went to Bankrate and selected one that had a good interest rate and a five-star rating. But my, my nagging concern is that I didn't see a direct link to the bank, so I had to Google it to find it. And I set it up, and it all looks legitimate, but I still have this nagging fear that one of these times I'm going to go to log into my account and the money's going to be gone (laughs) right okay so so let me tell you what the scoop is with um you looked at the bank rate list with any of these lists um when if someone doesn't pay them referral fees they're not going to provide a direct link they're going to give you the information that is the best rate out there but that's why there wasn't a hyperlink that would take you right to it Okay. So it doesn't in any way make that uh, a bad bank or one that you should be wary of. It's just that since they wouldn't pay money, any kind of commission, it's going to be a little more work for you to do business with them. What kind of rate are you earning? Um, two and a quarter. Two and a quarter. Now that is, I think, today 
the highest anybody's paying is two okay, and a quarter. Okay, yeah, it, it, it was when I set it up. And, I mean, I guess my other question is, since there's not a brick-and-mortar bank locally, and I think this bank that I chose is supposedly based out of New York, but are there other special safeguards that you should take when you use an online bank? If, because I'm not sure what I would do if all of a sudden I couldn't access my account sure. or the bank's website. Well, you can always cross-validate that you're dealing with real people by going to FDIC.gov and checking okay. to see that it is a real institution and that you're insured to the quarter million. And as long as you have cross-referenced, you're, you're good to go. And online banks are going to be a bigger and bigger part of our financial market in the United States because particularly people who have come of age in the last uh, 15 years Going to physical bank branches just isn't part of how they do things. And so the the future is going to be captured by online-only institutions. And what you're doing is just plain smart. Well, I hope so. I, I um, certainly seem smart to not leave money on the table. So I appreciate all of your good advice, and, and that makes me feel a little bit better. And I'm curious, what were you earning at the place you had the money before? Well, I had it at a credit union, and, and actually they are currently paying 2.5%, but only on you know, up to a certain amount of money. So I was getting a good interest rate on some of my savings, but there was a lot out there that I wasn't gaining anything on. Well, 25 is really great. That's fantastic. Um, I didn't know any credit unions were paying savings rates that high. Beverly's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Beverly. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Beverly. You got a question for me to save some money. I sure do, but I first want to thank you for what you do. I, we all appreciate everything you do. Well, you're kind. Thank you. I had a question about printers. I had heard you all more than a week ago talking about um, HPs being... Um, it's expensive to replace the ink, and you had a certain printer that you used and recommended, and I was wondering if you could tell me what that is. Yeah, so there's now, um, this is starting to become an area that's not a one-horse race anymore. The printer that I talked about is the Epson EcoTank, and there's a line, Epson sells printers that work just like Hewlett-Packard's, where the ink's really expensive, but their uh -huh. big push now is with the EcoTanks, where you pay a real market price for a printer, usually starting at like 200 bucks, and then the ink is essentially free. Oh. And now Brother is doing a split strategy as well, like Epson, and Brother has a line of printers called the Ink Vestment, I-N-K Vestment, and the Brother Ink Vestments, just like the Epson's, the ink is essentially free. Oh, okay. I have a brother and a Canon, but they're they're dinosaurs, and I can't um, I can't scan on anything from my home anymore. So I, I really need a printer, and I was looking. I trust you, so I appreciate it. Thank you so and much. Are you a Clark. member of Sam's or Costco? No, BJ's. We have no Costco or Sam's oh, where I live. Okay, I don't know if BJ's wholesale is selling either the Brother Ink Vestments or the Epson Eco Tanks, but both um, Sam's Club. Uh, pretty much all the time, and Costco, from time to time, sell the Epson Eco Tanks is a oh. way to save money. And so I would check at BJ's Wholesale. Otherwise, you can look online 
and see the best deal you might be able to get on one of those. And the difference in the models is how much printing you can estimate you do in a month. That the, As you move up the price scale, it makes no difference with the ink. It only makes a difference at what kind of, uh, how robust the machine is, how quick it will print based on your estimated likely demand each month for the printer. Edward's with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Edward, you got a question for me. When's the best time to buy a new car? Is that right? Yes, how you doing? Great, thank you. Are you interested in a new car, SUV, pickup truck? What actually are you thinking of buying? Um, something like uh, um, uh, SUV. Okay, so the SUV market has improved from a consumer perspective for the first time in three years because SUVs, uh, people's desire pivoted to SUVs hard starting three years ago and it took till now for automakers to really catch up on the market. So the good news is this is the first cycle where there's a decent supply of used SUVs. The advantage in the vehicle market right now is vehicle sales have appreciably slowed down of all types of vehicles. So it's for you, if this is your time to be in the market, I'm not concerned about you waiting to a specific weekend like Thanksgiving weekend or the week between Christmas and New Year's or something like that. I mean, there can be a particular situation where a particular dealer at the end of a month needs to hit a little more inventory into the sales column. Mainly what I want you to concentrate on is following steps that I have and other people have about the best way for you to buy that SUV. Because more important than when you buy that SUV is how you buy it and doing the process right. Oh, okay. I don't know if you've seen the information I have, by the way, Edward, Uh at Clark.com. I've got a guide to the the best steps to follow to get the best deal on a new vehicle and then the best steps to follow in the more complicated and difficult process of getting the best deal on a used vehicle. Check them out. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.